Hey, all right. Welcome, everybody, to Rock and Roll Shinsu. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my good buddy, Jonathan Getz, and my good buddy and my own flesh and blood, Dennis Levi Leach. Good to see you, boys. Nice to see you. How are you? Good. Good. Well, thanks for tuning in to episode two. Um, one thing I want to do before we get into tonight's topics, um, I made an error last week. So if we could have such a thing as an error report, you could chalk up one for me. Um, I shouldn't say last week during our first episode. I cited the um, Sex Pistols guitarist as Paul Cook when that is not the case. Paul Cook is the drummer, or was the drummer for the Sex Pistols. Steve Jones is the guitarist. Um, so I was, I was complimenting Paul Cook for an instrument he didn't play. So I meant Steve Jones. So we'll, we'll let it slide those, this time, Gabe. Right, yes. I know. Just it gnawed at me because I, it was one of those things I realized it right after we got done recording. Yeah, I was like, oh shit, that's that's not <laughs> Paul Cook doesn't play guitar. Slap on the them. wrist. So anyway. Yeah, I know. Right, right. Dude, John Bonham shredded in Zeppelin. <laughs> right, right, right. All right. So we've got um, three, three, three items on the agenda tonight. Uh, the first one was provoked by a quote by one of the best baseball players, really, in the last 40 years, I guess, um, if not longer. I don't know when he started. Uh, Mike Schmidt from the from the Phillies uh, said that uh, he he favored uh, a digital strike zone or the idea of a digital strike zone so meaning if I'm not mistaken that uh, a computer would call balls and strikes that wouldn't be left to to uh, you know a human umpire um, he said the umpires could still be around they could call foul balls and they could um, they would certainly call um, you know, uh, call the plays at the bases, but the, we, you could leave the uh, the strike zone up to up to the computer um, with a clearly defined you know digital zone. So I wanted to gather your thoughts on that. Um, actually, I'm going to kick it to Jonathan first on it. Then we'll go to Levi, and then I'll come around and uh, and talk about uh, talk about my opinions on it as well. So, Jonathan, sure. you're leading off. All right, excellent. So, yeah, I mean, this is something that I've been thinking I, ever since they uh, started showing the uh, the three by three grid on television broadcasts, um, uh, and it's and it seems like something's missing when that's not there nowadays. When when uh, you're watching a game on TV and and you see the the, the pitch is made, you expect to see it uh, show up in the lower right hand corner and uh, see where that was placed. And you kind of take that uh, as gospel, but you can only do that so much, um, obviously. Um, uh, and actually, I, I feel like that they could um, that they could tweak that a little bit um, to reflect what the umpire's been calling and not just necessarily what they think is the strike zone. Uh, but anyway, um, so the technology's obviously there. And um, I think in most stadiums, in some stadiums, they don't have access to the straightaway center field shot, um, possibly, mm. which is um, would would be a downside um, potentially. Um, but I'm 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 a um, I'm a huge proponent of technology and it making our lives easier. Um, I I'm also a romantic uh, to a limit, and uh, as soon as um, it stops making sense um, 
uh, from an efficiency and fairness standpoint, I stopped being a romantic. Um, and as a result, I, I think that um, uh, the, the digital strike zone is absolutely an answer uh, moving forward. Um, I always like to um, uh, uh, flip it on its ear, the argument on its ear, and say, what if the digital strike zone um, has had always, had, like, they invented it, like, with baseball in 1880, right? And, right. Um, and, and, and 20 years ago, they started proposing, no, let's put a human back there. It's, the strike zone will be different for every human. Should we make this change? And everybody will say, no way. <laughs> right. Um, right. Uh, because it just wouldn't make sense. They wouldn't say no way from a romantic reason. They would say no way from just like a fairness reason. Uh, um, so that's uh, that's how I like to look at it. And, and I think, uh, yeah, and, and, and uh, we might not be there yet. I think a lot of people would need the, this explained to them. Um, it wouldn't be a force field like Mike Schmidt calls it, but, um, uh, it would, uh, it would be, you know, uh, uh, something digital and, and more ethereal nonetheless. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting points. Um, so if in summation, it sounds like yes, but not tomorrow. Right. Oh, I, I mean, I think, I mean, uh, yeah, it would just, the, um, the extent of the technology would need to be kind of more open sourced, if you will. Um, uh, everybody would need to know exactly how this works. And is Fox's strike zone different than ESPN strike zone? That sort of thing. Mm, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, All right. I, I agree with you to, to an extent about the romanticism of it. Like, I mean, at some point I feel like you're right where it could come to that. And, um, my only thought is, like you just you mentioned there at the end, you know, is one station strike zone going to be the same as another's? Are pitchers going to be able to know maybe where there's weak spots and somehow in 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 the strike zone system to where they could maybe get a borderline pitch called a strike a higher percentage of the time, just depending upon the algorithm used on the strike zone itself. You know what I mean? I I mean it's digital age. Uh, you know cheating almost but i mean all things i know technology wise have a backdoor to an extent they have a way to be to be worked around you know um i don't know if there's a lot of baseball players out there smart enough to figure out maddox is retired (laughs) yeah right (laughs) right (laughs) and um but i do also like just the uh I don't know. I like sometimes the camaraderie of the umpires. Sometimes, sometimes the stuff they do is ridiculous. You know, is I, you know, I don't know if I could stand and just get screamed at by somebody with their face right next to me and just be like, yo, I'm cool, man. Everything's all right. You know, I, uh, it, it takes a special person, I think, to be an umpire. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I could see it going that way someday, Jonathan. I really could. I, I don't know how long it would be. I think it'll be interesting to see at the end of this season how they reevaluate the whole replay uh, system. Right. But, um, Which is I, off I could... to a shaky start. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, someday, maybe, maybe. But um, I don't know. I guess if they get rid of them, I'm going to 
look for one of those black MLB logo hats because I always thought those umpire hats were cool looking. <laughs> <laughs> they are, those are good looking caps. They are. Oh, man, good points all around. Um, you know, at, when I first heard it, I, I, I said no because, like some of the points that Levi mentioned, I even though the calls can upset me. I still found some comfort in the umpire being there behind the plate. Like maybe it's the camaraderie or it's just, I don't know, for lack of a better term, like the human element um, that's, that's still in the game, which I like. But then I realized that I think I was probably just being sentimental, you know, like I, it's what I, it's what I know. So therefore um, it must be okay, you know, or it must, it must be the right way to go. So I was I was over romanticizing a bit, or I was I was being sentimental around mm-hmm. around umpires. That said, I would lean towards I'm going to lean towards yes that that we that that we sort of buck the tradition, and I think baseball more than the other sports, the other major sports at least, seems to be mired in tradition, you know, more than those other sports. Yeah, and it plods um, itself for that. Right, right, absolutely. Um, I mean, it seems like, like, even though this, I'm speaking figuratively here, baseball, like, sort of has, like, it seems like, 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 you know, like, old guys still control it. You know what I mean? Like, they made up these rules a long time ago. Absolutely. And they've been kind of somewhat inflexible, you know, they haven't been that flexible with them, whereas other sports maybe seem to have evolved. They're not afraid to introduce new elements. You know, like, um, for for instance, this might not be the best example, but the NFL introducing the two-point conversion right which had been around right you know which had had been around in in other football leagues right um you know them doing that which i guess what it's probably been around for about 10 12 years uh, it's been about 15 years i think 15 years now right so a while and you know it's it's fine like everybody's right right but nobody's really protesting it anymore. Right. Um, right. And actually, they're saying maybe we should get rid of the extra point. It's gotten yeah. Just like give the it, NFL just fans are ready for like they're ready for like cyborg rules. They don't care. <laughs> well, and that's right. I think right. maybe one of the things I'm worried about the the digital strike zone. I hope does not lead to like zip lines across stadiums with cameras <laughs> running like NFL style where it's like no umpires like super zoom in close shot to the second base to see who if the guy was out if he was safe you know Dude, it would be awesome right. <laughs> it would it's I would I would get an oculus riff just for that right. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna lead towards uh, a gradual um, adaptation of uh, or, I'm sorry a, a, a gradual adoption excuse me sure of um of 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 digital strike zones yeah so maybe um, they try it in I, spring I, I, training I, 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 what's that maybe they try, try it, it in yeah, spring yeah, training. yeah try it in spring training yeah. um you know get see what yeah yeah there's gonna be pushback you know i'm sure a, yeah. a lot of traditionalists are gonna are gonna balk at the idea yeah um yeah. but they'll get over it you know yeah. i mean once once something becomes a rule you know, people people tend to get over it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Once they start yeah. to see the benefit of it, it doesn't they, matter if it's yeah. a law. Yep. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, even if it's a law, if it's a policy, it's, you know, beyond sports, like people people typically adapt. You know. Yep. yep. And that's what they do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it would it would fix a problem. Um, 
And sorry, there's there's a cat about ready to get in the way here. Um, <laughs> oh, it'll it be would, cute. It would fix. Yeah, it, w- it would views. fix a problem. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm 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 for it. I, I would need to know more about how it would be implemented, but I'm for it. Yeah. Typically okay. speaking, and cool. it sounds like it sounds like all three of us to a certain degree. Yeah. For it. Yeah. Yeah, pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, I could see, yeah I could maybe see maybe some stronger than others, but uh, yes. Well, I'm put it this way: I'm mad it's not already implemented. I guess in a way. <laughs> okay. So, all right, right. Stop wasting right. Whereas Jonathan's Levi, time. Levi seems to be a little more reserved on it. Right. Jonathan needs the hour and a half ball game. Give him the dead ball era where see? you hit twelve home runs and you like led the lead that year. Dude, I'm calling Brown back, and I'm like, I'm getting on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean your your video your your baseball game your real life baseball games will will take about as long as it as it uh, as it takes to play a video to play RBI. Speaking <laughs> of which, like I don't want to veer. I'm, I'm totally digressing here, but have you guys played the new RBI? I have an RBI four. I haven't no, played I, it I yet. Played no, either. I want to. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm gonna try to when I have fewer things going on. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah it, I'm glad. <laughs> Well, yeah, brother to franchise back. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a great idea for them to do that. Yeah, yeah. Now, good timing. You can get it on your phone. You know. Yeah. So. Nice. Nice. So yeah. So that's that's cool. All right. Good. Well, it sounds like some uh, uh, somewhat of a consensus was reached on that on that issue. Yeah. Um. Now I want to talk about our our second. I'm gonna I'm gonna shift to the the second agenda item, um, which is really kind of sort of i think um the main the main course of the show um sort of i i, I kind of call this a roar followed by a whimper we're going to talk about players baseball players and bands that really burst onto the scene found some uh initial s but then shortly thereafter sort of faded into obscurity um or at least if if they didn't fade into obscurity they didn't they didn't really totally you know uh reach their potential or maybe it just all didn't come into fruition like like maybe we wanted it to as fans or uh maybe you know the critical expectations were were quite high and those weren't met but the band the band didn't you know sustain a long successful career i think is what i'm what I'm trying to say here, uh, and same thing with the baseball player. But before we before we begin, I, I, w- I want to talk sort of about what that means. Um, you know, these guys these these guys these people um, aren't aren't bust, right? I mean, you see a lot of um, a lot of sports journalism and and list and every every t- for, 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 we're approaching the NFL draft, so you're going to see a ton of articles. And we're approaching the baseball draft, too. You're going to see a ton of articles about who's the biggest bust of all time, right? But I'm not talking about a bust with these people. I'm talking about someone who really couldn't sustain success. I, I, I interpret a bust to mean that the person never achieved success, right? Like your, your Brian Taylors. And, and if you go to football, you're Dan McGuire's of the world, right? I mean, like, yep. just, yeah, somebody, uh, you know... To, Tony Mandarich or something, you know, some, <laughs> the football examples are coming to mind, but uh, baseball's got them too. 
So somebody that never really had success is a bust when the expectations were high. Um, and this person isn't a wash up either because in order to be a wash up, you sort of you had to achieve, I think, a high level of stardom or somewhat of a high level of stardom. Mm-hmm. And then and then that fades. Right. Um, and we could all mention some some players and probably even even better examples in mus- musicians that that happened to. And they're not one hit wonders either. These bands. Right. I mean, that's that's always kind of a, that's a that's a moniker I don't like anyway, um, because it just you know, I'm not talking about like Frankie goes to Hollywood here. You know what I mean? Somebody that's just like a one song that's going to be on a compilation that's sold on an infomercial late in the late at night. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody that somebody or some entity that couldn't sustain success. All right. They all held promise. Maybe they even all delivered for a little while, but couldn't sustain it. So um, I'm going to start. I think what we're going to do, I think I'm going to start with baseball since we're on since we're we're on that. And then we'll switch over to music. Um, So, Levi, I'm going to start with you. So if you could you could tell me your player that uh, okay. that that meets this criteria that I've just described. Um, I don't know if he's going to meet it to a T, but um, yeah, that's fine. He he's definitely the the when this topic came, it was the first person I thought of, and I, as a Cubs fan, I have a lot of these to choose from. <laughs> but it's the I biggest and the brightest star that burst onto the scene that then faded away and ended up only playing parts of maybe like eight or nine seasons of his career. Never. I don't, I don't know if he, he might've only played a hundred games, like four out of the 10 seasons he was in the league, I think. And that man is Jerome Walton, the 1989 rookie of the year of the Chicago Cubs. And, um, that year he had 139 hits and his OPS was 721, and his batting average was 293. So those are definitely studly numbers for a guy coming, at, you know, onto the scene at That's that an immediate time in impact rookie. You know, I mean, you know, yeah. and um, you know, it just the man had different injuries happen to him, and the Cubs at that point were. Uh, they probably wouldn't have admitted it at the time in the nineties, the early nineties, the Cubs were rebuilding, even though they had just, they had gotten to the division championship that year with Jerome Walton and Ryan Sandberg and Mark Grace and all those guys that year. But, um, he left the Cubs after four seasons with a one twenty seven batting average. What? And it, it, you know, yeah. that goes to either 127. Yeah. And, you know, like I, I mentioned before in the, the past video, I think maybe sometimes the Cubs bring up players too fast. And I think that was a time where maybe it worked for about a year, a year, a year and maybe a half a season or something. And he just, he, he either couldn't handle the pressures of the league or he couldn't stay healthy um, like I said, he, he only played a hundred games in four out of the 10 seasons. And those are almost all the seasons he was with the Cubs. But like I said, he, he left not even batting, you know, one thirty. Um, and it, you know, the, 
what's funny is the Cubs hadn't had a rookie of the year since like at that time, I think it was like 1962. And so you know, I took a lot of pride in 1989. I was like, whoa, Jerome Walton for president. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was just so funny. I remember as a kid being like, you know, not, I, did, I didn't want to show my, my thing of cards to my buddies like three or four years later because Jerome Walton was a scrub at that point. But I had all of his rookie cards. You know? 89 Bowman. I had the 89 Bowman. Yeah, yeah the 89 Bowman's a good looking card. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. that yeah, they almost stuck out of the uh, card case. They were so tall. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> all those, all my Bowmans would get bent up at the top. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, it's just yeah, it was, it was a cool design, but just impractical for storage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, you had to buy like you had to go to a card show and get different like bigger top loaders, <laughs> different pages. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you were if you were real serious about collecting Bowman, the he the also- grippy from that year is a really good looking card too. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Because yep. the Bowmans just have the autograph on the front. Yep. That's it. Correct. Yep. And, like, yep. the Bowman logo Uncle in the B corner. Logo. They yep. have – right. They don't have any team logos or fonts. Yeah. yeah they're, they're real real clean, vintage-looking cards. Yep. Yep. Right. Right. So, Levi, you know who finished second in the Rookie of the Year voting? get card. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What was that, Jonathan? The head? Dwight Smith, Chicago Cub Dwight Smith, finished second in that Rookie of the Year vote. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, he would have been just a, a, another one to pick. But I think I think the 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 way that it was just – it seemed like he was a stud and then he was no nothing so fast. And I should have took that as like a cue that this might – how it will be <laughs> the rest of my life. Yeah. As a Cubs fan, yeah. like, like my favorite young players, like you know, uh, Terrio, Fontenot, um, who uh, I'm Felix I'm not going to bring, um, bring up Mark Pryor. Okay, no, exactly, man. They uh, they 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 managed to burn out young guys quick, or the young guys they picked either just have a track record of not being able to handle the big leagues or get yeah. injured. It's just. So it's a mix of it so all. Many guys plus... on the Cubs meet this criteria. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. because <laughs> yeah. they're not they're not bust. You know what I mean? Like they're a bust is like someone who's a high draft pick. You know, and like never oh, yeah. never pans out. Yeah, I you know, mean, he or... got to the show and he showed that he could play with the best of them, but he showed that he could only do that for one season. Yep. You right. Know? Yep. It, I'm, I'm looking at the numbers too. It looks like I don't know. It must have been injuries because. His at-bats, you know, really, he didn't get a lot of, I mean, like, the most at-bats he ever had when he was on the Cubs was 123 at-bats. Yeah. So, obviously, so, you know, there were some injuries there. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, yeah, it looks like he. No, that gosh, games, he, Gabe. He modeled. 123 games. What's that? 123 games. Oh, 123 games. games. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Jesus. Looking at the wrong column. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. 123 games. Excuse me. Um. So he still, so he still missed some games, though. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. I, um, at the time, yeah. you know, I wasn't as caught up into it as I now would be if I was that age watching it. But I do remember him getting injured. I want to say like it was maybe the beginning or middle of that next year. Yeah, yeah. He only yeah. played in a hundred games the next year, yeah. hundred one games. So. So yeah, that's tough. You know, yeah, he modeled quite a few uniforms too uh, after after '92. Uh, oh yeah, it looks like. Um, 
Yeah, they had, had a decent season with the Reds in '95. Remember that was that was they that was the year we switched the playoff format and the Reds made the playoffs that year. In oh 95. yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> well, he's anyway. forever he's forever enshrined in a starting lineup. <laughs> he can always he is, say so, that. he's immortalized there. Can't take a rookie of the year award away, you know. Nope. True, so, exactly. Uh, nope. Yeah, Maybe that'll nice. be another topic for another day. The rookie of the year curse. Right, right, right. It's baseball's equivalent of the Heisman curse. You know. Yeah. Excellent. All right. I, I I had a feeling you were gonna you were gonna maybe lean towards Jerome Walton. All right, Jonathan. Well, let it rip. My uh, my guy finished eighth in the rookie of the year voting um, uh, for the Red Sox um, and. Uh, um, uh, in, uh, 91, that was, um, in just a okay. uh, hundred, about 150 plate appearances. He had 11 home runs, 35 RBI and not bad for 150 plate appearances. Um, yeah, right. uh, the next year, uh, his numbers were down a bit, but then, um, uh, then the Red Sox traded this, uh, this fellow who I was following this guy, uh, Phil planned here. Um, I, I was, I was, I I was uh, at this age, I was receiving diehard Red Sox fan magazine, uh, which was like a, a a monthly, uh, 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 fan rag. It was like a tabloid newspaper tabloid, right? Yeah. And, oh man, they were hyping Phil Plantier and I was really excited about Phil Plantier. Um, I think, um, I think it was his, it's his 90, 91 or 92 scorecard I can envision. Um, but, uh, um, uh, I mean, I, I, when I th- still think of Phil plants here, I get excited. Like he's going to be awesome, but I forget yeah. that he hasn't played in like 15 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, uh, so the Red Sox, yeah, they traded him to the Padres, um, for like, uh, uh who was it here? Um, uh, Jose Melendez, um, uh, but immediately in 93 for the Padres, uh, he went, uh, batted 240, 34 home runs and a hundred, hundred RBI. Um, pretty solid year for 93. Yeah. Um, but after that, um, it was all downhill next year, 18 home runs, 41 RBI. And then he had like a combined, uh, 25 home runs over the last, uh, three years of his career. So yeah, only played until, uh, uh, through 97, um, uh, so, you know, getting the hot start with the Red Sox in 91, um, peaking at, in 93, um, with 34 home runs, hundred RBI, and then being out of the league by 98, um, uh, it's, it's kind of fascinating. Um, yeah, I played for five different teams, um, and, uh, yeah, never, never came close to, I guess it was at age 24 that he peaked. Um, so yeah, Phil Plantier still get excited, uh, uh, <laughs> when, when I hear his name and, um, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe he's like, uh, rocking a, a few car dealerships out there living up to his name. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah, good choice, man. God, I haven't heard of, I haven't had a Plantier reference in ages. Well, the, my selection, this guy, this guy, I mean, really burst onto the scene because it, it, almost at a record, at a record setting pace. I mean, the dude hit, um, the dude hit 10 home runs 
in in 72 at bats you know and that was his entry <laughs> entry into baseball right so he immediately started kicking ass um and then uh had you know put together then a solid rookie season and a um let's see here a, a low he was got never a batting average guy but you know still had um had power numbers um, and then within basically by, by his third year into the league, he was already backing, he was already bouncing back and forth between, you know, the majors and the minors. The guy's name is Kevin Moss. Moss. All right. Moss. Yes. Yes. Moss Kevin man. Moss also immortalized with a starting lineup. Yes. Also immortalized with a starting lineup figure. Jonathan, I know Jerome Walton has one. You're gonna, which I'm gonna order. I'm gonna get that one, <laughs> uh, Levi. That's what you're getting for Christmas. Um, <laughs> if dude, if they have a yeah, if they have a Phil Plantier starting lineup. Oh, um, that, uh, that uh, dude. Well, yeah. yeah they, who else would they have chosen from the Padres? I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because yeah, uh, that was the Ken Caminetti era. So they they were they had some good. There was. That was here the Padres won the World Series in '96 when he was probably playing with them. Is my guess. Anyway. Um, yeah. um, so Kevin Moss, yeah, Ke- Kevin Moss. Um, you know, like I said, never a batting average guy. He was just he was he was a power hitter, and he's he's more he's well known for uh, breaking that home run record. It was it was the fewest. The, the the first person to reach ten home runs and the fewest at bats, fewest big league at bats. That's that's the record. Um, and and by the end of the year, and he only played he played his rookie year was in ninety. He played in seventy nine games. Um, so in seventy nine games, he hit twenty one home runs. So and hit two fifty. So that was good enough to get him second place rookie of the year. Yeah. So yeah, I mean. Yeah, if you do the do the math, right? If like the guy would have played a full season, yeah. If if he played you know, he, uh, twenty more games, he would have won Rookie of the Year probably. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sandy Alomar Jr. got it that wow. year, which, the, which like, like the, I, when I heard that Sandy Alomar Jr. Rookie of the Year in nineteen ninety, I thought yeah. Sandy Alomar Jr. started playing in like nineteen eighty five, but I'm totally wrong <laughs> about that. You know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. Doesn't he seem like a dude that started playing way before nineteen ninety? <laughs> Yes, uh, he what's does. What's great is if you go back and look at some of the Roberto Alomar, like rookie cards, he's got like the best Pablo Escobar stag. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Like, I, I was thumbing through he some does. cards the other day to find my, my card for the reveal <laughs> on the show tonight, and I came across numerous Roberto Alomar just like killer coke dealer mustache. Right. <laughs> Levi's, Levi's got the uh, the upper deck limited edition where Roberto Alomar has some coke on a knife. He's sitting on the bench next to staring. Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas is giving the finger. <laughs> right. Yes, I remember that card. Yes. Oh, man. Good stuff. Good stuff. So I, I chose Kevin Moss. Um, he, he Four years with the Yankees. 95, he comes back and plays 22 games with the Twins. And that's it. That closes the book on Kevin Moss's brief career. But he broke a record, and he got a starting lineup. So Wow. Yeah, four years, complain. man. That's that's short. Yeah. yeah. And, and plus, those yeah. games, I mean, what you would constitute a full season um, would be just his second year in the league. He had already started 
dropping off quite a bit within his within the third season. Wow. So, yeah. So uh, I was it was a pretty precipitous decline. Um, cool. Good selections, everybody. Yeah, yeah, well done. yeah definitely, well done. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, be on the lookout for a, a plantier jersey. Jonathan, <laughs> I'm going to priority mail that. So thing. apparently he he he's um, the Padres hitting coach now, so he's doing all right oh. for himself. Oh, what's that? Hey, he's still in the yeah, game. He's, he's still yeah. in the game. That's yeah. a good gig. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, on that note, um, the other the other side of uh, of this show being music, um, you know, with bands, this uh, this took me a little bit longer. To, to, to come up with my selection because this was hard. I'll, I'll start I'll yeah. start this one please what's that I said this was hard yeah yeah this is really hard I'll I'll start with this one um and then we'll uh we'll go to Levi and then Jonathan can bring it home um with this one I um you know I I, I struggled a bit at first because one of the rules that when we were planning this episode um one of many one of the sort of caveats was you know it couldn't be related to a death because that would just be too easy. You know? um, like when you say, when you, when I give this criteria that I, I stated earlier in the show and you apply it to bands, you know, most people will think of, Oh, well, Jimi Hendrix, right. You know, he was 27. Janis Joplin. <laughs> what has buddy Holly done lately? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. That's not what, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about somebody that OD'd, you know, and was like really famous. No, this is this is more of a band that that had, you know, a, a great release or two, maybe a couple albums. And then just it never just materialized after that for for whatever reason. Um, and the band that I selected, um, and I want to talk about one of the records in particular that I like uh, is The Call. The band is The Call. Um, and it was led by this guy by the name of Michael Bean, who actually did some acting too. Michael Bean um was uh, he passed away a couple uh, a few years ago? But um, Michael Bean was was kind of a sort of a B list actor too. He, he he did some acting in the in the nineties in between sort of when the call was kind of on. Um, so I chose the call because they really reflect a sound that I've or they produce a sound that I've that I've been drawn to a lot lately. I've been I found myself listening to more more bands from the eighties. And I think I'm enjoying it so much that, you know, I don't, I, I don't think it, 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 it has a very, um, to me, it doesn't have an eighties sound anymore. It just has a good sound. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. when I, a few years, if you were to ask me like 10 years ago, what I think flock of seagulls sounds like, I'd be like, Oh, I think it sounds like shit for the most part. You know, now I kind of like that sound. Uh, maybe it's just because some bands have revived it a little bit. But um, to me, the call is is was sort of like the best the best band of the crop of '80s bands. Um, a lot of them were from from England or Ireland, and um, there are some sort of socially conscious lyrics, um, and as well as some spiritual themes. You know, these bands sort of I don't know if they were necessarily they declared themselves Christians, but there were traces of it in their music. I'm talking about, um, the call for one, um, big country. I would put into this category as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's another band I put it in this category called the alarm. Uh, the guy by the name of Mike Peters, um, 
that I really like as well. I like their their eighties work too. I and I think the um, the alarm is 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 really or I'm sorry the call excuse me is really the best of that crop. And the album that drew me to them um, when I as I was just listening to it online really over the last year or so is their they've got an album called Reconciled from 1986. Um, that I think is really one of the I, I, quietly one of the best albums of the eighties. I'll, I'll, I'll take it that far. Um, a lot of people don't know this. Peter Gabriel sings backing vocals on, on, uh, the opening tune. He was a big advocate for them. Um, when their first record came out, um, he, uh, he asked them to open for him, uh, on the shock, the monkey tour. Um, so, you know, when, when Peter Gabriel, right, right. When Peter Gabriel was, you know, was really, um, reaching sort of the height of his popularity in the early and, and mid eighties. Um, he brought, brought, uh, brought the call on board and was always, uh, a strong advocate for them. And, uh, you can, you can even hear probably a little bit of his influence on their music as well. I think, yeah. um, there's, there they're uh, they're from they were from Oklahoma as well, which I found I found kind of interesting. Like I I mentioned earlier, a lot of those bands like the Alarm and Big Country, you know, they were from the their their European bands. Um, but but yeah, the, the fact that they were they were producing the sound and also from Oklahoma, um, I, I you know I found I found really interesting too. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I had no idea. Sort of yeah, I don't know if that's just sort of geographic yeah, stereotypes I'm if, making if about Oklahoma. If you said Oklahoma, Oklahoma music to people nowadays, they would think of that like red dirt alternative country right, right. type of thing. Mm-hmm. Which right. They are like 900 miles yeah. away from. Yeah. Right. Or or you think of you think of that. I think that's probably the first thing that comes to mind because that's a whole scene. Or you think of the Flaming Lips. Yeah. The, yeah. To yeah. me, that's like yep. the most yeah. the most yeah. famous band of the last yeah. probably 20 years yeah. to come out mm-hmm. of Oklahoma. Anyway. Um, so yeah, if you guys haven't listened to that call record in a while, um, I, I, I highly recommend it. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't sound maybe as dated as it, um, it would have a few years ago, if that makes sense. I think that there's room for that sound still in popular music. Um, uh, and it's just really good musicianship and all the songs are really tight, um, They've got a song on there called Oklahoma that's really good. Um, there's a lot of like, um, he's got a lot of like sort of strife in his voice, you know, like like there's yeah. something sort of burning, you know, inside of him. Um, in my opinion, it's like he's uh, he's Bono without like the self importance Michael Bean was yeah. of yeah. Bono. I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, and and U two is a band that many people would throw into that grouping that I've listed. Only they were the ones that became totally huge. And I'll say it: I enjoy all of those bands I just mentioned more than I do U two, and that's probably only because of of what U two sort of became, which is like this really sort of, in my opinion, bloated turd so, so um, i don't like anything i'm one of those tell us like, what you really think after after to maybe people yes yeah. so when yeah. i i was um i was listening to uh some of some of the call today on audio and admittedly I, i'm really not terribly familiar um but i what i immediately heard when i was listening to that was um an obvious influence on pearl jam um, I've never, oh, okay. I've yeah. never heard any parallels drawn. I don't know if they've ever covered them. I don't know if they've ever acknowledged 
uh, the call. Um, uh, yeah, I but, agree with that. But yeah, both vocally and musically, and even production-wise, um, I heard of it's what sounds like uh, a sound that influenced Pearl Jam quite a bit. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, they were one of I those bands that. where I think if people, if they went back and listened to like the two radio hits, uh, "Walls Come Down" and the "Let the Day Begin," which is like '87, I think. They're songs that people will hear them and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that. I They're definitely one of right. those bands where I think people heard them, but they just kind of faded out of people's memory. And yeah, I, the question is, why did that happen? But I I don't know if maybe they were like a little too like vaguely religious for some Rocky people or like New Wave people right. and then weren't yeah. enough religious for like you know the amy grant grouping at that time right right. but they were they were a really good band and um you gotta at least go out on youtube after you watch this and check out the video for let the day begin it's it starts with him just rocking and rolling on a bass in the middle of the redwood forest so nice 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 yeah uh, his um Go ahead, Levi. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I was just going to say that I, I remember hearing that song one time driving home from work uh, off a night shift on Fox on ABFM, which is a station that literally will play anything in Springfield. And and they were throwing a, they were throwing a bone to the call. And I had never actually heard the song up until that time. Nice. And then I went back and listened to the first record. The walls came down and stuff. And um. When you first mentioned it, you said, "Oh, I might, I might. One of my choices might be the call." At first, it wasn't clicking with me. In my head, I actually thought of the alarm, as you mentioned. I pictured that record oh, with okay. the drummer yeah. boy on the cover, and I was like, "Oh, the call." And then I was like, "Wait, no, that's not them." And I think a lot of people might do that with that band. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, you would. I, you could, you could. A lot of people, those, those are interchangeable bands, or they shouldn't be. Yeah. One last thing um, about about the call that sort of kind of a nice story with the music continuing on um michael bean's son is the leader of uh black rebel motorcycle club Uh um and he actually michael bean actually died he he backstage at a black rebel motorcycle show a few years ago yeah that's awful so that's awful um but uh because he was he he was I guess sort of instrumental in his son's career too. Sure. You know, wow. As far as yeah. opening doors, sharing sure. advice. Yeah. Wow. Right. And then I, I, I want to. I'm going to go on YouTube. Maybe not tonight. Afterwards, but but shortly thereafter. Um, after he died, the call got back together to do a reunion show, and then Michael Bean's kid, cool. from Black the Black Motorcycle yeah. nice. Club, uh, sat in on vocals or did the whole show actually on. Oh, vocals. nice. So yeah, pretty cool stuff. So uh, yeah, really smart band that uh that doesn't probably get the credit that they deserve Mm -hmm. and um uh if you haven't you know for people are listening out there if you haven't checked out that record um or if you haven't checked out out in a long time yeah give it a listen there's 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 not a bad tune on that album yeah nice so um yeah so levi uh i'm gonna i'm gonna kick it over to you man i'm curious this was a tough one one, as we mentioned um i had to kind of I mean, the first thing that popped in my head was American Minor, which I had talked about last episode, but then I thought that would be too easy. And so the second one that popped in my head was Doucette. But I don't... (laughs) I can't say I know enough personally about Doucette to know why maybe what happened with him, you know? But um, the band I ended up choosing... Yeah, I mean, I think he might play, like, county fairs and stuff, but... um, He's Canadian. He plays, like, in... 
Canada, you know. Yeah, at, at one time that guy had dinner plates of cocaine, man. So, <laughs> the, the, county fairs, dinner plates of cocaine. So, right. But the band I chose is a band called, if you can see it, Junkyard. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they were signed to Geffen Records in 1988, and it was literally like a six months to a year after GNR had gotten signed. And they were considered a rock sleaze act and um, kind of maybe a mix of like the Georgia Satellites and GNR kind of a little bit together, you know, kind of Southern Rocky, but they also still wanted to have like a, like a Hollywood vibe to them. And um, yeah, they put out that record. I just showed you the first record and it is excellent. It's a blend of, like I said, Southern rock and boozy rock and sleaze rock and, um, there's the prerequisite ballad because I guess all sleaze bands have to have a ballad on their record as well. And, um, it, you know, a lot of the stories about what went down with that band. And I guess before I mention that, I should mention they had a second record. And it's called Sixes, Sevens, and Nines. And Steve Earle actually contributed to this record. Hmm. And, um,. They did two records and basically two tours, and um, there was infighting within the band. One of the members, his name was Brian Baker. Before he was in Junkyard, he was in the band Minor Threat. So he had, like, a punk pedigree. Yeah. Hell of a transition. I I don't know. (laughs) The other guys in the band kind of seemed like hired hands because they recorded the album right before they fired a couple guys right after. So it was like new guys were brought in to do the tour and they just didn't gel over the course of those two out al- the, the two tours and the one album, I guess the second group made. And, um, that guitarist ended up leaving and being the guitarist for bad religion. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Baker is the guitarist for bad religion. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> I just, I, I always thought listening to those two records that you could just hear the potential in them. And as I mentioned, I don't know what the downfall was besides I know that it was a lot of kind of hired hands type of situation. And they, they just couldn't get it together. They made a third record. It never got released. Geffen dropped them. And a lot of people said that Geffen never really kind of gave them the push they needed like Geffen kind of had guns and roses in the pocket and was basically don using all the money, all the resources on Guns and Roses, which I can't blame them. Guns and Roses is a better band than Junkyard. <laughs> you know, I'll say that every day of the week. But I will say that they these guys were a really good label mate, you know, and if they could have um you know, if somehow the two bands could have gotten their egos together, I, a Junkyard GNR tour I think would have been huge. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised. Or Geffen's shit, or Vizzy Stradlin would have joined Junkyard, man, after something, he left you know, And that's another thing. The the guitarist, the main guitarist there, his name was Chris Gates. And yeah. um, he's later on, gone on, and he's had a band in Austin, Texas for a while. And he's just, he's never been able to recreate the magic he had with Junkyard. The same thing with the lead singer. And so around the year, I think it's like 2000, 2001, they actually kind of reformed. And they've been playing, like, one-offs, basically, over the last you know, 15 years. And so, uh, 
it's just sad to see, you know, what could have been because you can go and watch the, they have videos for a couple of the songs off that first record and they just look like a really cool band and they were having a really good time. And I, the songs are, you know, some of them are cheesy hokey, but guns and roses had cheesy hokey songs too, you know? So he's, you know, but some of the lyrics wise, I mean, um, right. But I, I felt like they, they, they kind of peaked by, you know, they got on Geffen, which was a huge accomplishment at that time. If you could get signed to Geffen because they were the biggest rock label at that time. And yeah. they made oh, that yeah. first record. And the first record sold. I mean, I, I don't know if it went gold, but I mean, it. Hmm. there were people, they made videos, they were on MTV. I think they did either, you know, not Headbangers Ball, but the other rock shows that were on MTV at the time. They got a little bit of press, and they had a little bit of a following, but it just they couldn't could never put it together. No. Yeah, you know. Also, I mean, timing. The first record was released in '89. <clears throat> it's two Geffen artists. They're sandwiched between Guns N' Roses and Nirvana. You know what That's, I mean? As far yeah. as what that oh, yeah. year is. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So they were probably if if. You know they they probably were forgotten about. Oh yeah, because, quickly. Because I'm sure they, they, were, they were more Guns so N' Roses. Could, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm sure right. as soon as Nirvana dropped, Geffen dumped all those bands. I mean, besides right. Guns N' Roses, obviously, because right. they had to fill the roster with grunge and alternative. Which you know, that's just the changing of the guard. Yeah, sure. Shaking of the tree. Yeah. Um, for the better in most cases, but um. As, as I get older, I sort of, I appreciate sort of the whole timeline of it all. Exactly. Anyway, yeah, I like it. I like it both. I, I like my Guns N' Roses and I like my Mud Honey. That's how I roll. Anyway, um, Jonathan, what about you? Speaking of Geffen, um, the, these guys uh, eventually signed with Geffen. And unfortunately, their their infatuation with Geffen was part of their downfall. Um, uh, the uh, The Stone Roses... Um, oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, this, uh, this record, um, uh, self-titled, uh, originally released on Silvertone, um, is, you know, awesome. I mean, I don't think you could ask for any better record to come out in, what was it, 89? Um, way ahead of its time. Oh, Absolutely. totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. still like really timeless in many ways. Um, and, uh, uh, granted, you know, I, uh, I wasn't sitting around waiting for this band to release a second record because I wasn't really listening to music yet in 1989 and 1990. Um, but, uh, 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 yeah. So, I mean, they, they released this record, uh, geez, they had been a band for since like 83 or something and ultimately released this album, you know, it's, um, uh, part of the Madchester, uh, 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 movement and, um, uh, that would ultimately obviously influence, uh, bands like Gomez. Um, but, uh, then they, they wanted to get out of that, uh, that, uh, that, uh, label and, um, essentially like were handcuffed and couldn't do anything, uh, for several years. And, um, the second coming, their their second album, the second coming, was released uh, a few years later. But by then, ninety four, I think. Yeah, ninety four. I mean, yeah. so geez, five years. I mean, it's I, I'm not to say that they weren't writing the music in between, but right. um, uh, you just lose momentum. It's inevitable. 
and um and so much music even though it is timeless it's also in some ways you know it's a time and a place um when it comes to capturing um the vibe that is created in the music um yeah and 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 that just kind of like passed them over uh i think in in some ways um uh but and you know the second coming is solid um but it's 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 hard to it's hard to live up to that first record. And I'm not a guy that says that lightly. I, I, I like, I seldom like first albums more than the rest of the artist catalog. Um, um, I like the artist maturing and the, and the production value maturing and, and things like that. And not saying it gets slick, but they, they find their production value, which I mentioned in the last episode. Um, but I felt like the stone roses, um, were a little too cognizant of, maybe of, of the production value of, of the second coming. Um, and it, you know, it maybe, maybe a little too slick to use the S word, um, that is thrown around a lot, but, uh, yeah. And they just couldn't sustain it. Granted, you know, they had a reunion a few years ago, um, playing, playing a handful yeah. of shows, which is, that's cool. Did you hear any, did anybody, did anybody watch any of that footage of their reunion gigs? No, but they did a documentary like on it, I think, ago. or something. Yeah. A little rough. Um, yeah, a little rough. Yeah, yeah. a little rough. Yeah. yeah. Mute, the band sounded okay. Ian, yeah. uh, his voice live just hasn't really matured that well. Yeah. Um, uh, the Like, the buzz around it was pretty huge over there. Like they, they right. played like all these huge European oh, yeah. festivals. Yeah. Absolutely. And like, if, like all, all three of us, you know, like sounds like all three of us like this album. Um, you know, we didn't get into it probably until I didn't really get into them until probably the last few years, you know, like, I, I don't know, you know, I discovered this till you know, I worked I, at I, a record I, store. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I I'd, I'd heard second coming when it came out, when I was in high school and, you know, there was that love spread song, which was, mm-hmm. you know, the single mm-hmm. off that, I thought it was kind of a ripper, but you know, like probably like I would say six, seven years ago, you know, somebody somewhere turned me on to, uh, to the first record. I was like, yeah, I was blown away. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, this is, this is really unique sound. Um, and, uh, yeah, the the reunion shows though were uh, were a li- were a little rough, a little rough. I I don't know if I, I don't know. You kind of it makes you wonder like like yeah, just obviously they need money, you know. I mean, I don't fault them for like getting back together. Like we all got bills to pay, and they yeah, you know they haven't they haven't you know they they haven't really you know they I know what's a what's his name um, yeah, player right? plays with Primal Scream. Yeah, no, no the bass. Oh player, no, I forgot his name. Uh, John like Squire. That. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he, I think he, he plays a primal scream, I think too, or he does now, but anyway, good choices, good choices yeah. all around, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you ask anybody British, who's like a little bit older than us, they work at the altar of that first record. Sure. It's yeah. like, it's their, it's their 10, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or, yeah. or they're it, like, seriously, like, like ask any, anybody British age, like 33 to like 45, this, it was like, just, it was such part of the, the musical canon for yeah. them for that era. Yeah. Um, yeah, just everybody. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so I want to talk about the cards now. I want to switch to the, our, our, our final topic. Um, all of us collected baseball cards. Um, 
in the mainly I, I'm, I'm going to guess the bulk of our collecting years were probably about 86, 87 to 92. Yeah, probably yep. was yep. the bulk of those. Are, those were my my heavy card years, probably for mm-hmm. for for all of us here. Um, that was before cards. There, in my opinion, there became there too many brands were introduced. I think oversaturation got a little bit too saturated. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like you needed more than tops, but you didn't need more than like the main, the five, you know? Yeah. And even Um, that was, you know, did you really need, did you really need five? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Did you really need five? Right. One question before we begin this (laughs) one. Yes. One question before we begin this, like Fleer or score who makes better cards. I say score. Fleer. I was going to say score. Clear? Really? See, because I think if there's any, if there's a weak link within the five, it's got to be Fleer to me. Really? They were never really great looking cards. No. No, I I think they, I think they age better. Fleer does in some ways. I won't won't defend 89 Fleer. Um, I'll defend like, uh, like 86 and 87 Fleer, maybe even like 84 Fleer. Um, uh, oh, you're going back now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but but oh, yeah. like the, the, 90, 91 score got a little. Uh... The early Fleer did look better than the later Fleer cards, but they'll always have the Billy Ripken card, right? <laughs> yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Fuckface Eternal, man. Supposedly, the real story behind that is he had to be like. He was in the dugout or something, and he had to grab a bat to do the photo really fast, and he just like grabbed yep. one from the yep. rack, and he wrote that on the end of his bats because he knew no one else would grab them. Yep, yep, mm. yep. Which I've I heard that. Is, Which we we need crazy. to have Tom Blankenship on for my morning jacket as he uh, recently <laughs> tweeted a photo of that card. So uh, nice. a call out to Tom nice. Blankenship. <laughs> nice. Cool. Levi, I want to hear your card now, then. I want you to reveal this card. This card is the first single I ever got. Hmm. And, I mean, I had bought, you know, packs and wax packs and rack packs and the old quarter machines where you put your quarters in, pull it out, get, like, two cards, remember? And in, in between the cardboard, there would be a right. couple of basic cards. Oh, yeah. But, the first actual like single at a show or a card store I ever got, it was across the street from Wrigley Field, a little shop that sold Cub stuff and baseball memorabilia. And I don't know if you could see, but I'm going to show it as best I can. It's Bob Euchre. Wow. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 1967 Bob Euchre, and he's on the Phillies. And what... I just always had liked Bob Euchre as a kid from Major League and the Miller Lite commercials and just, you know, I always thought he was just really funny. He would be on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson sometimes, and I saw this card in that shop and was like, I have to have that, Dad. I have to. And I think, if I remember right, it was like 18 or $20. My dad's like, oh, that's the most expensive baseball card ever or something. <laughs> And it's like, no, Dad, that is not the most expensive baseball card ever, but it, you know, it's, it means a lot to me. And I just, at this era of tops, there was always little cartoons at the top yeah. with like little stats and, you know, quotes. I think this is hilarious. It says, 
Bob is one of the best defensive catchers in the major leagues and possesses a rifle-throwing arm. <laughs> and, and I just know that Bob Euchre would be the first to tell you that none of that is true. <laughs> you get a kick out of that. <laughs> so that's my card. Nice. Nice. Well done. I went, I went to a Brewers game like 10 years ago, and uh, I saw him because it was Bob Euchre night. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, I got to, and he was like very like, um, like he would be announcing like because like I don't know if you guys have been to Miller Park. They've got um, uh, it's sort of like um, like a mezzanine level that like has like a like it's it's and it's it's um, it's walled. You know what I mean? It's not exposed. It's like a mezzanine level. You walk in and you walk, you can walk around the whole mezzanine level and they've got like, like specialty shops and like better food and stuff. It's where they sell the high life. It's where they sell the high life. Right. Yeah. And, um, they, uh, Euchre walks through there and like, I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, Bob, what's going on? He's like, Hey everybody, thanks for coming out. And then he walked into the elevator. <laughs> That's classic Bob yeah. Euchre. It's like, they just delivered on. it just like an announcer would. Yeah. Always. always. Nice. Yeah. Always. Nice. Good choice, man. Um, just, gosh, I'm, I'm, yeah, that guy, uh, that guy's a real, uh, I, I hate, it's probably an overused term, but he's a real treasure. That guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I hear he's, he's getting a second statue at Miller Park, actually. <laughs> I, seriously, I don't know the details, but I heard he's getting a second one. Wow. Yeah, you are a treasure if you have multiple statues. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to build two more Harry Carey statues. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Jonathan, I your your card uh revealed um yeah so i i was going a bit on the theme uh, just a, just a bit of of uh fast starts but uh, couldn't sustain it okay. however this guy um uh actually bucks that trend a little bit and it's a and it's kind of forgotten um uh and and i and i don't mean to go easy pickings on 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 the first uh card reveal but i i had to do this this card means a lot to me for for several reasons um but it's the 88 don russ greg jeffries um oh, nice. <laughs> uh uh this the this card uh was was extremely hard to come by in in 88 um it was a high card it's a card number 657 so it was harder to get the high cards for some reason yeah. Um, is like uh, the extended set. Yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, but, um, uh, I remember, uh, my, my brother bought me an entire box of 88 Don Russ for my birthday. It probably would have been, it probably would have been my ninth birthday. So 89 and, um, uh, with the hopes of getting this one card and it, I did not get it in the entire box. Um, oh. but, um, uh, nevertheless, I still have a copy. Um, uh, actually, uh, my brother's copy, and um, saw it in an antique store the other day as well. In a set, uh, there was a set of '88 Don Russ where I just rifled through it just to find the Greg Jeffries and touch it and put it back. And uh, they wanted like twelve bucks for that set, and I would know what. Um, uh, this card, I don't know, maybe it maxed out at like nine bucks value. Um, it's probably worth like a buck fifty now. Um, but. Uh, uh, and, you know, Jeffrey's had such a hot start too, um, uh, and and just uh, uh, the 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 New York press uh, was a really hard on him, I guess. Um, but you know, and that that was eighty nine, ninety, and um, eventually, I mean, he made two All Star games with the Cardinals. 
um, uh, yeah. in 93, 94. Yeah, a lot of people Jesus. forget he had kind of like a second career yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so yeah. he bucks that trend where he did, you know, he, he had a solid career. Um, I, I was on, uh, uh, I, apparently he has a, uh, a baseball academy out in California and, um, uh, and so he's running that. Um, and so obviously we've had, we have our spring break trip. For next yes. Year. Yes. I think so. I think so. Greg Jeffries um, fantasy camp. But on his, his bio on the website uh, mentions uh, goes out of his, its way to mention that he was in fact nominated for the Hall of Fame. At one point, he did get a vote apparently for the Hall of Fame. Oh, so, um, so uh, he he's a Hall of Famer in, in the Gets House. Great card. I always yeah. loved that era of Donruss, the the '80s Donruss. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, so th- yeah, th- yeah. It's it's a pretty it's a relatively famous card, I think, for people for for kids who collected in that era. The the brand Panini, who makes cards, they originally got popular making like soccer cards. They bought Donruss out, and they have come out with 2014 Donruss, and they look like the early 80s Donruss. Oh, seriously? Awesome. And they have Diamond Kings, and I, I want to get – they have an Anthony Rizzo one. And oh, the awesome. Diamond Kings are the first era Diamond Kings where they have awesome. the red, white, and blue banners on them and stuff. Nice. Yeah, nice. so I, I definitely want to pick up that set of Diamond Kings. Dude, that's cool because I thought that Tops had the monopoly on um, uh, producing baseball yeah. cards. Just like within the last year or two, Panini bought out Donruss hmm. and had been like trying to get him back onto the scene. Hmm. Awesome. That's great. Very cool. Yeah, good selection, man. Um, you know what? Mine, like I said, I, I don't, I don't have it handy, but I'm gonna, I can describe it in detail. I was, I was. Um, going through all my cards because i've been um i've been preparing a room for another human being who's going to be entering my household in four or five weeks and um i was looking through all my cards which was very very uh sentimental and uh and nice you know it was nice to just kind of go through all the cards that you saved and i came across like i had like i have like four of them and i'm embarrassed to say as a baseball fan i don't remember this guy at all at all but the card that I have is an all-star. He was on the all-star team in 1985. And, um, you know, the name just, just did not ring a bell at all. It is Damaso Garcia's 1986 Topps all-star card. He wow. was on the Blue Jays, right? <laughs> He's a uh, Dominican guy, um, sort of long face, um, you, yeah, you could you could Google the image right now and it would come up. But I had no idea I, I, the name. I mean, like I didn't even know the name. I, you know? I, I remember. I, I kind of remember I've the card heard of that as a kid. Yeah, listen to this, Damaso Garcia. Right? I'm like, okay, who is this person? I like I have four of his All Star cards. Right? He came into the league in '78, so he was already you know by 1985 veteran player. Nearly all of his career was spent with Toronto. He got fourth place Rookie of the Year in 1980. The dude got MVP, MVP, excuse me, MVP votes in 82 and 85. That year that that All Star card, that All Star card would reflect. So you know MVP votes. Granted, you know he was way down the list, but he still got votes. Votes. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Two All Star, and then also in 80. Also in 82, Silver Slugger Award as well. Nice. In 82. Dude, killer line in 82. 310 batting average, 
338 OBP, slugging of 399, you know, OPS of 737. Um, you know, he wasn't a power hitter by any means, um, but uh, oh, speed guy, 54 stolen bases in 82. Nice. You know, um, yeah, like I said, hit 310. You know, didn't really strike out all that much. So, Damaso Garcia, um, wow. I I was I was totally up. I had no idea who the guy was. Wow. I remember the card. You know, the card brought back some memories for me. Um, and I had it was one of the cards where I had many duplicates, but I I just had no idea who this guy was. And I looked up the numbers. And I was like, holy shit! You know, this guy. You know, wasn't really he didn't wasn't able to sustain it. You know, but two eighty three career hitter. Um, and, and also, you know, put up two MVP caliber seasons. So hmm. Damaso Garcia, uh, um, he, uh, uh he's, I'm surprised uh, there's not a diamond yeah. king of him from that era. Right, right. He, he does. He just seems like they he gave would one have to Cal the, Daniels, man. Yeah. <laughs> he would, it seems like he would have the diamond King's qualities, you know, right. Diamond yeah. Kings were, diamond Queens Kings often were guys that weren't the best player. Exactly. On the team. Right, they were a guy who contributed, certainly, um, but uh, you know your your Diamond Kings is going to be the uh, sort of an unsung hero type or or somebody who made some type of contribution that season that that wasn't you know you know Robin Yount or George Brett. The, or, the 1990 you know, Cubs Wood. Diamond King was Mike Bilecki. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, I think all of those good players that I just mentioned, all those like really franchise guys from that decade you know eventually had diamond kings but that's not what the di- that's not what the dk was about <laughs> all right so, unsung heroes yeah. man yes absolutely wow good choice gabe obscure man going deep yeah yeah i was going gonna deep. Say, digging 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 in the crates well i got duplicates so i might send you i might if you guys you guys i might send you guys some damaso garcia cards in the mail <laughs> but anyway on that note i think that's going to close it out boys um another another uh episode in the history books so i thank you and i think we are better people for it so <laughs> good night you, to quote <laughs> bill walton anyway um so yes <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I will see you guys soon, and uh, we'll we'll get we'll get cracking on episode three. Sounds good. Rock and roll, shoot, shoot, shoot.